Always. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to jump right in. Um, no, go, just walk across. You know, that's, that's good. Good thing it's not videoed, right? There we go. Yeah. <laughs> um, you'll notice we're, you know, Matthew 11, like, how did we get that far? You know, uh, well, what we're going to do is continue uh, tracking where a lot of folks place episodes in Matthew and Luke and Mark. And, you know, they, they, they do things theologically, not all strictly one chronology. And uh, we're going to look at an episode that's uh, in both Luke and Matthew. We're going to use Matthew's account, however. Uh, that's why we're in Matthew 11. It would be in Luke chapter 7. And it's um, as, as Jesus' ministry is continuing, and he is writing creation, he is you know, undoing what has happened in the fall, and people are being healed, and lepers are being cleansed, and demons are being excised, and all these things are happening. Uh, meanwhile, uh, John the Baptist is imprisoned, where Matthew tells us in chapter 3 that Basically, the beginning of Jesus, at the beginning of Jesus' Galilean ministries, which is where we're at, is when John was imprisoned by Herod Antipas, a Galilean tetrarch, one of the, the Herods that came after Herod the Great. And you know the story most likely, it's in Matthew 14, that basically not only was, was John the Baptist declaring the kingdom of God and the king of the Jews, which right away would get Herod's attention and make him nervous. But he also, because uh, he's John the Baptist, uh, called Herod out for basically seducing, uh, his, basically seducing his brother's wife and ended up leaving his wife and marrying her and called, called him out. And so he's been arrested. Uh, and he is in a, it, Josephus, the, his, the Jewish historian Josephus tells us that John the Baptist was being held at a, at a fortress east of, east of the Dead Sea, so further south. So he's away from where Jesus is ministering, and he's still got disciples, John has disciples or followers who will minister to him somewhat in prison, and are probably telling him some things about what's happened with Jesus and what's going on. But meanwhile, John is languishing in prison. And it's in that, from that scenario that we now get this particular episode. And we're going to do it in two, two sections. We're going to look at John's confusion. And there's a lot of words we could use there. We'll talk about that in a moment. But he's going to send an entourage to Jesus to find out, are you the one? And then we're going to look at Jesus' confirmation. Now, not Presbyterian, all right? He's not being confirmed. But we're talking about his confirmation of John's ministry. And, and a few other things he brings up along the way. So that's our outline for today. So with that, beginning in cha chapter 11 of Matthew, beginning at verse 2, let's hear, let's hear this scenario. Let's, let's, let's hear what uh, Mark, Matthew tells us about how this is all set up. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or... Should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. All right. Well, we have John the Baptist now 
sending an entourage to ask, are you the coming one? Uh, that's an interesting title for the Messiah, uh, the coming one. Remember, John himself said that there is one yet to come. Use the same wording. Are you the one to come? Or should we be looking for someone else? Now, of course, the question right away is, John, you're the one who pointed us to him. You're the one who told us this, the, this is the one to come. You're the one who told us he would come with, the, you know, that he would come in the spirit and with fire. Now, why are you asking these things? Well, in, in church history, of course, a lot of people were wondering about that. So, as you can imagine, there are a lot of explanations or possible explanations. Um, some who are kind of, well, John would never do that. Some would say, well, John, John couldn't do that. Uh, suggests that he's asking on the behalf of his disciples. In other words, his disciples are having doubts. He has sent them to ask the question so that they could be confirmed in who Jesus is and what he's doing. Others would say this is not confusion or doubt on John's part. This is more, uh, the, this is more an act of faith. I mean, in, in other words, languishing in prison, having assumed that the Messiah would come a certain way, he's now starting to figure out that, no, that's not it. So he's getting this confirmation of his faith. Uh, those are, are plausible, but I don't think very probable. I think um, most likely, and what most commentators throughout the history of, of, of the interpretation of this passage have seen, is that just like us, John's like us. Um, yeah, he did all those things. Yes, he's Jesus' cousin and colleague, but now he's in prison. And it's been close to a year, probably. And he's not hearing the things, he's hearing about the Spirit and the blessings and those things, but he's not hearing anything about judgment and fire. He's not hearing anything about that. Where is this, this messianic movement? Why, why is that not happening? Especially, remember, he's in prison. And one of the things that was to happen was that the prisoners would be set free. And if this is really the Messiah, why would not his right-hand advancer in John the Baptist be released. There's probably some psychological stuff going on there, and I think it's, it's good that the Gospel writers record this because it's helpful for us as well. And notice Jesus tells the, the, John's disciples, his followers, well, just tell them what you're seeing. Uh, in Luke's account, uh, Jesus actually performs these things in front of them. Now say, tell, tell them what you're seeing. So tell them what it is you're seeing. And, he, and he's basically bringing up things from Isaiah 35 and 61 about all of the things that will happen when the Messiah comes. And it's, and it's things that are, again, righting the wrongs. Now, is the judgment, you know, this judgment in fire and final judgment is yet to come, but darkness and Satan are being judged as he's going. So he goes, go back and tell them those things. And then he ends with, and blessed, meaning that there's one, another, another blessing, another, another beatitude, if you want to think of it that way, are those who don't stumble over this. In other words, uh, the, the Greek term there is skandalos, and you know where we get our word scandalize or scandal. So, you know, you're in the right, you're approved, you've got it, you get this. If you're not messed up by how God is working and how I'm bringing about the kingdom, it's not necessarily what you expected, but blessed are you if you recognize this. You don't stumble over this. Now what's funny is that, of course, um, go back and tell him 
Go back and tell him all these things, you know, all these things that are happening in fulfillment of, of prophecy, whereas John's languishing in prison. And one of the things that, that, is that the prisoners would be set free. And there he is in, in prison. So what we learn from this as well is that while the kingdom is advancing and while there is blessing that comes with the kingdom advancing, the fulfillment, the full uh, consummation of the kingdom is, has yet to come. And along the way, with all these blessings, there's going to be stuff like what's happening to John, too. And he's going to, Jesus is going to explain that a little bit more here in a moment. So you see, you know, why John might be confused, why he would have questions. And Jesus tells them, don't, don't be alarmed. This is how it's supposed to. And blessed are you if you get this. Well, he doesn't stop. Yes? Another aspect of understanding that we look at Messiah as one person. Everything is one, Jesus Christ. But in those days, there were some who viewed Messiah as different persons. There was the Messiah, there was the Davidic Messiah, there was the Joseph suffering servant Messiah, there was the coming one. They, they looked at him as being all separate people maybe three, four, five different separate people. And so his question could have been, which one of these are you? That's also possible. Well, we, we say, oh, well. We looking back, aren't we? We rejected Jesus Christ, but they had a different way of looking at it because they, they didn't understand that Messiah was all one. Gotcha, yeah. And that's why he says, should, there, should we be looking for someone else? Yeah. Yeah. Well, what does Jesus now say? Now, we're told that the disciples of John, as they start leaving, now yeah, there's other people around. We're, we're told that there are multitudes around when this is happening. So they may be thinking, well, then what about John then? Is he now wishy-washy? What's going on with him? So let's hear Jesus' confirmation about who John is. And I would like us to do it. I would like whoever's going to read this passage to um, stop at verse 15. So, 7 through 15. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out to the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. I tell you the truth. Among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, and forceful men lay hold of it. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. He who has ears, let him hear. Cool. Thank you. All right, so as they're leaving, and you probably, you know, as they're going away, uh, they, they probably heard this as well, but he's speaking to the multitudes, and he tells them, okay, 
Obviously, they know about John's ministry. And he says, so what did you go out into the wilderness to look at? All right, who did, what did you go out there for? And we get, and he gives a series, right, of kind of narrowing it down for us. Did you just go out to see Reed shaking it by the wind? Um, common side around Galilee, right, around the rivers, reeds, uh, papyrus, those sorts of things. Uh, it was a common image for that was just commonplace, or, of course, an image for someone who vacillates, someone who's, you know, shifted by the winds of change. Interestingly, uh, Herod's coins that were minted at the time, uh, his symbol was, was a clump of reeds as well. Uh, so there are many who try to read into that as well. What did you go out to see? In other words, just another Herod, some would say. You just went out there to see another Herod, meaning hence the fine clothes that are mentioned next. Or it could be that he's saying, "Are you just going? Did you think you were? Did you think he's vacillating? You think he's changing his mind?" Well, no, you didn't go out to see that. And he says, "Well, did you go out to see a man dressed in soft clothing, like those who are, a, are courtiers of a king, those who found in palaces? Uh, is that what you went out to see?" And that kind of harkens to, you know, someone who uh, is is some 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 of us said that you, know, you just get some. You think you went out to see someone soft and vacillating? You think that's who John the Baptist is? Or it could be a reference, again, to just, did you go out to hear some herald of, of Herod? No, that's not why you went. Then why did you go? Did you go out to see a prophet? Yes. That's why you went. Here's this guy coming out of the wilderness dressed like the prophets of old and with the boldness of the prophets of old declaring, as Malachi said, he would that he's declaring, the, making the way for, the, the messenger is making way for the Messiah. He says, that's why you went. More than a prophet. In other words, not only did you go see a prophet, here's the pinnacle of that line of prophecy in John the Baptist. And then he quotes from Malachi, Behold, Malachi 3.1, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. And it's subtle that Jesus says, prepare your way before you instead of my way before me, which is the original. It's kind of a, a subtlety there of Jesus' declaration that the preparation was for himself. That's what John was doing. That's why you went out there. Hence he says, that's why I'm telling you, among those born of women, there's not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. That's just an idiom, born of women, for a human. Among human beings, no one greater. Pinnacle of the preparation. That's where he is. None greater. But, he's the pinnacle of the preparation. Jesus is declaring now with himself and the kingdom, the fulfillment is here. Those who are part of the fulfillment, the kingdom of God, not heaven later, not not after death heaven, but this kingdom of heaven. As great as John is, there's been, a, there's been a watershed moment. Those who now are hearing of the kingdom and are clamoring for the kingdom, what Jesus is doing, the least of them enjoys more blessing. Now, he's not saying John is excluded from, from 
you know, you know like as, the, as the Old Testament prophets, you know, the prophets of old have been excluded somehow from God's kingdom. He's not saying that. He's trying to help them understand the difference. He's saying, yes, John is great. He's up here. But what you're experiencing, the least of you, are more blessed. He's, he's helping them understand the nature of the fulfillment and of the kingdom itself. From the days of John the Baptist, and this is a, this is a fun verse. A lot, of, a lot of ink spilt on this one. From the days of John the Baptist to now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and violent men take it by force. The translation we heard earlier was that it advances through force. And it can be translated either way. So, what's going on there? Uh, depend, you know, and, and depending on how you take the, the, the flow of the passage itself will depend on the translators, how, how it's translated. But there's both, and they both can work. Now, obviously, John is in prison. People know that. So, that's, a, that's, that's an, you know, that people are trying to stop to take the kingdom by force. So those who would say that from John's time until now, as the kingdom advances, it is advancing um, by suffering violence, which seems to fit where this scenario is. But it can, of course, again, be translated by it's forcefully advancing. you know, there is a forcefulness to the advance of the gospel at this point, where the, where the works of darkness and Satan are being overturned. So that, you know, there's that aspect of it as well. But what Jesus is saying, of course, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, meaning this is, this is working out how it's supposed to. This is working out how it's supposed to. And if you care to accept it, and if you'll hear me, I'm telling you, he is Elijah who was to come. Now, by implication, by him saying that, that he is Elijah who was to come, we know who Elijah, Elijah prophesied in Malachi, that who was, he was preparing for, and that is the Messiah. So by implication, he is saying, and if you'll accept this, he is the Elijah who was prophesied by Malachi to come, to prepare the way. And hence he says, so if you have ears, listen. He is declaring his Messiahship. Um, some would say that the, you know, it's, it's kind of a cryptic way of doing it, and he, he is doing that this, like this right now, because look at what happened to John. And he's already said violent men are trying to take this by force. He's, he's being cautious, in other words, about how he's making these declarations. Uh, who does Herod, Herod think he is? The king of the Jews. Why did he arrest John for declaring the king of the Jews? So there is a subtlety here of him declaring his Messiahship. But declare it nonetheless. So not only does it confirm who John is, there is a confirmation of who he is. John asked, are you the one? And here you have a confirmation as well that Yes, he is the Elijah. Do you hear? Therefore. So there is a double confirmation in this. Not just who John is, but who he is. Now, John and Jesus had very different looking ministries. (laughs) 
Uh, you know, John dressing as he did, uh, being a, an ascetic, never touching wine, looking like and acting like those old prophets of, uh, that people looked to. You know, the guy, the crazy man out of the wilderness kind of thing. I mean, that's, that's him. Whereas Jesus, now having had the way cleared by John, now declaring the kingdom, taking the good news to where people need it, he is hanging around with all the sinners. He is going to all their banquets, their parties. So they have very different looking ministries. And he knows, of course, that the people are looking at that, specifically the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the people of that generation, awaiting the kingdom, but having their own agenda for thinking how it should come, he knows what they're like. So he concludes this section with this uh, example of children at play. So, someone read that for us. To what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others. We played the pipe for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. Awesome. All right, that's a great... uh Great little image here. So how, what should I compare them with? Well, okay, just imagine children out in the marketplace, kind of the playground of the day, you know, where people would gather. And, and there's two games going on. There's a wedding game and a funeral game. You know, pretend, right? You, you know, you, people used to do that, by the way, before video games and things. People used to pretend, uh, make forts in their house, you know, those kinds of things, you know, pretending. And, and this was a game of pretend, and he says, imagine the scenario, basically, of no matter what we're playing, well, I don't want to play that. I don't want to play that. And then he compares, he says, so you see, John came, neither eating nor drinking, not doing any of these things, and people called him crazy, said he had a demon. So you're not satisfied with that. And then the Son of Man comes, and he comes eating and drinking, being with the sinners, friend of taxpayers, I mean taxpayers, tax, tax gatherers and sinners, and you call him a, a glutton. And then he ends with this uh, proverb, he ends with a proverb that uh, wisdom is vindicated by her deeds, you know, the personification of wisdom from the Old Testament as a female, uh, wisdom is, person- or, 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 or is vindicated by her deeds. We have similar sayings. Um, probably the most well-known, not to kids today, but would have been well-known, is the proof is in the pudding. Well, the proof of the pudding is in the eating or however you want. Yeah, that's basically what he's saying. And he says, you know, the, the, you know, what you think and what you wanted in your expectations and how you're not satisfied either way, well... Proof will out. We'll, we'll see. Proof is in the pudding. So here you have, what, what's, it's instructive for us because you have someone like John the Baptist coming with these questions and that confirmation that he grants 
for the larger audience as a whole, we hear confirmation not only of the greatness of John, but also of the coming of this new kingdom. That what you've been expecting, John did indeed declare would come. And he is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets and all that had come to it. Jesus is the fulfillment. Now, as we've seen in these, these lessons we've been looking at here lately, you, as, the, as this advances, as Jesus continues in his ministry, opposition starts to ramp up. And here we have an interesting episode where it's not strict opposition, but a question. So helpful then and for us as well. I know I blitzed through that. I'm sorry, but we had lost a bit. Oh, keep going. All right, cool. Yes. Yeah, Luke, I think, has that for sure, right? Correct, yeah. Yeah, Luke actually does say that. Uh, for those of you listening and not able to hear that, um, out in the ether world, um, yeah, the, 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 uh, Luke's, Luke's version says vindicated by her children, not deeds, and... In that case, yes, you'll see the proof in those who follow, in those who actually listen to and follow what John and Jesus have done. I, I had some notes in my Bible, and I just wanted to share. Um, this was new to me recently, uh, but the very final words of Malachi, the last, the last book of the Old Testament, are, See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. So it would be so important for Jesus to say emphatically, clearly, John is the Elijah who was to come. Very good. And some have actually because of that, because of the great and terrible day of the Lord, we're wondering, have said that maybe that's some of why John had some doubt. That there is, it doesn't seem like there's that kind of cataclysmic thing happening. Where is that? Uh, but yeah, exactly. That's in the and, and isn't there kind of a dual view of the, the, the day of the Lord for the Jews? They would think it was the day when the Lord would come and, and they would have a confirmation, a retribution for all the wrong done to them, restoration. And then there's the day of the Lord, meaning the judgment of the Lord. It's kind of both things. Right. And one of the things that uh, Jesus is turning around with, with, how, you know, with why people are so confused is that uh, they, they did see the day of the Lord as, as more of, comeuppance for, for all their enemies and those sorts of things, whereas you know, Jesus is turning it around and saying, well, yeah, the day of the Lord is that, but it's going to begin with you. Uh, and it's more about being true Israel, whereas they had insulated themselves and taken everything to look at the day of the Lord as being that time when now all of our enemies are going to get it and we'll show you that we were right all along. It's more of, well, actually thing you were supposed to be all along, being the light to the nations, 
and making who Israel is attractive, that is what is going to happen. Yes? It, it, it's a bit comforting to me to see maybe, uh, you know, maybe there's a, a twinge of impatience or questioning in John's, in John's question, like you were saying earlier, that, okay, well, been in prison here a year. I mean, you know, you're supposed to come, so where's, where's this day? And here we are 2,000 later going, <laughs> 2,000 years later saying, okay, when is the day? And, and it's other things that we read in scripture that, you know, this is coming, the day is near, but it, okay, well, near to whom and in what, in whose time frame? And it's God's time frame, and many times right. our time frame is different than his. <laughs> Most of the time, yeah, almost the, always. We all live in that <laughs> tension of the already, but not yet. Yes. Awesome. Yes. Could you summarize again, and you might have done it, that verse about the kingdom of heaven suffered by us. That old King James suffered actually means permit, correct? Well, it can, it's, it's the, it's actually the, the voice of the verb at that point. So it could be, I mean, um, and thus it's either passive or middle. So it's one in which the kingdom advances violently or is suffering violence it's it, it's the same it, it could be both yeah and the violent take it by force is that us or them that is a reference i think to those who are con are continually trying to press, to press the way in yes well, in a way it, it was both the christians suffered violent persecution and the church advanced because of how they responded to the persecution. So in a way it suffered violence and it advanced through violence. It did both. Did both. And there are some who would say that this does if this so doesn't fit the actual flow that this is Matthew later reflecting that since John you can see how this has happened. Yeah that's I don't necessarily lend credence to it, but that, that someone interjected, that Matthew interjected that. But yeah, you're exactly right. We ready? All right. Well, you got them five minutes. That was great. See, we actually did get the questions in. All right. Let's pray. Father, I'm always struck by that uh, closing uh, illustration of children and never being satisfied and having our own expectations of the way things should go. And I pray that's not us, uh, that we'll allow you <laughs> to, to be who you are and your kingdom to come as you have declared and Jesus to be the Messiah he is and, and forget our own expectations. Our prayer is that, uh, that we are humble before the message of the gospel and the person of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. All right. Thank you. Goodbye, podcast people.